you're listening to The Storytellers, episode number two. I'm Sharla, your host and the founder. This podcast is a place for my guests to share their life stories, adventures had, and lessons learned from four decades on this earth. I truly believe we all have a story in us worth sharing with the world. Today, we have Nyla Fritz as our guest. She is a middle school principal and gun safety advocate. She has a unique and compelling story to share with you all. Before we dive into the interview, I'd like to thank Cora Mary Design as our episode sponsor. She is your go-to girl for branding, graphic design, and web development for all you creative entrepreneurs. You can find her online at coramarydesign.com. Now for today's interview. Well, let's get started. Would, would you take a minute and just introduce yourself, where you are in the world, and who you are, what you do? So my name is Nyla Fritz, and I am in Seattle. I am, I guess I fit the title, I'm over 40, <laughs> so I'm a 40 teller. <laughs> um, 41, heading into my 40, starting my 42nd year in August. So what's the weather like in Seattle? What do you think the weather's like in uh, Seattle? <laughs> it's gray and drizzly right now. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's only like 80 degrees here. Oh, it's so, so evil, jealous. But right? doesn't that get old? <laughs> I'm sorry, it doesn't. <laughs> I believe you. I, I, I lived you. I lived in the Northwest for 24 years, so you can't fool me. No. <laughs> Just visit in August. I think you're good. <laughs> yes. So, um, so I invited you to the Forty Tellers because um, you're, number one, you're in your forties, and I think you have some really interesting life experiences that I would love for you to share with us. But um, I'd love to hear from you. What was forty like for you? Is it something that you were looking forward to, or how did you feel going into your fortieth year? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, to be honest, 40 was, I think, less – the idea of turning 40 was not this crazy, oh, my gosh, um, life-changing thing for me. I was – I actually pretty much – I love my life and things are good. The hard part about turning 40 was I got dumped literally two weeks before my 40th Oh, no. <laughs> so um, – I think the the any kind of trauma I may have experienced around turning forty was trumped by the fact that I um, had this incredible loss of um, a relationship that I was super hopeful hopeful about. So, right. um, I think when I think about my forty, it was actually a wonderful time. I got to see all, so many amazing friends at different events celebrating me. So it was it was a really nice thing to have happen right after right after a breakup. Um, so no, for, forty was um, I th- I would say the introspective part of it was me kind of coming to I don't know if coming to terms is the right word, but being really really okay with the state of my life, um, which had included some grieving of what I thought my life would be like at forty. I never thought I would be 40 and single and without kids um, and kind of grieving that that was what it was and actually being really okay with that being what it was. That's Um, that's really great. I mean, I think there's so much societal pressure about getting married and having kids and having to do it by a certain age. So I think being able to embrace it and where you are in your life is a really beautiful thing. 
Yeah, it was a, it was a, um, especially around the, the kid thing, coming to terms internally with me saying, actually, no, now, even if that were to be presented, you know, the opportunity to have children that the recognition of no, right now, I, I don't want that anymore, which was a really, really hard thing for me to come to terms with internally, really hard for my friends to accept. Like, no, you're lying. I'm like, no, really, I, I don't want that anymore. Um, that was, a, that was a very interesting turn of events for me. Yeah. How, how were you able to do that? Do you think? Well, part of it is my body kind of said to do this, um, would be nearly impossible. Um, you know, my, I've got, um, the, for me to get pregnant, there would be a lot of interventions necessary and me thinking about that and saying, and having a doctor say, you know, if you're going to want to have kids, we need to go in and I've got some fibroid stuff going on. We need to go in and deal with that now. And me realize, you know what? No, I don't want a major medical intervention for this thing that I don't think I want anymore. So it was kind of a forced internal dis- coming to, I guess. Um, I've learned in this new chapter of my life that, you know, a lot of people come to being a mother in a lot of different ways. And I always thought I would have multiple children and I wound up only having the one. And I knew after I had one that I would not have another because it was very difficult for me. Um, But now I have a beautiful stepdaughter and And a a pseudo baby and that puppy that I'm hearing. (laughs) I know a little crazy dog. (laughs) Thinks he's like a vicious dog and he's like not even four pounds. Um, so, you know, I mean, you just never know where life is going to take you and what that next chapter is going to look like. So, so very true. Yeah. Um, but you have all sorts of babies that you deal with all day long. Would you tell a little bit about like your job and what you're doing with your life? Yeah. It's funny. My one liner is when people say, do you have kids? I'm like, no, I have 750 of them. Um, (laughs) um, I am a middle school principal. And so every day I, you know, and I really mean it when I say this, that I'm lucky to be at the helm of this amazing school and um, in in an incredibly supportive community and get to kind of help a group of adults, um, form these incredibly malleable (laughs) beings and see their successes. And so I I am a principal. And if you had asked me, um, you know, 10 years ago, would you, would I see myself here? The answer would have been a very strong hell no. (laughs) Um, and if you had asked me, you know, 10 years prior to that, if you, if I would have been in the classroom at all, um, because of course I taught first, the answer would have been no. My life kind of took a lot of different turns to get me here. And so I'm always curious then, oh, gosh, where will I be at 50? <laughs> right. What am I, I? I'm still Charlotte at the what am I going to be when I grow up stage? <laughs> you know what? I'm 41 and I still feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Which is, again, I got to embrace that. That is kind of, I know that I have no idea what the next 10 years will bring. I don't know that I will 10, 15 years down the road still be a principal. I do not see myself not working with kids. I, um, man, they're amazing. And, you know, when I'm looking at our political stage right now and some of the crazy stuff I'm seeing, 
it's so nice to go to somewhere every day and be filled with hope. <laughs> right. It's awesome that you say that it's amazing because I actually, I started my teaching career at the middle school level in Seattle oh. and um, taught my first three years of teaching were at the middle school level. Um, and that is a really challenging age. So, <laughs> and I think it takes a special person. I'm curious, um, is there something in particular that you like about that age? Um, how did you find yourself uh, with that group? You know, that I, um, I found myself with middle school in particular, um, partly right out of school, meaning out of college, I worked with homeless youth. And uh, my caseload always seemed to be filled with the younger kids, um, you know, the 12 to 15-year-olds that came into the shelter. And, you know, there could be lots of reasons for that. But I, I just found um, that age just so amazing and so vulnerable. And yet, you know, there's um, when you look at child development, there's this huge growth that happens from birth to three. And then... Second to that is the growth that happens in the, you know, 11 to 15 age group. So when we say these kids are kind of crazy and there's all this stuff going on, yeah, that's actually really true. That's what's going on in their brain. There's so much change. And um, and to be a part of that and to help them navigate that world where they're trying to find autonomy and figure out who they are, questioning everything and being so also at the same time centered on who they are. Um, you know, we have the power in our schools to make that be a really amazing time for kids or to make it hell. And I think for a lot of us, our experience was rather hellish. And the ability to kind of mitigate that and make it a time that our kids look back on and say, wow, I loved middle school is, is awesome. Um, I'd love to here, um, I know that you lost um, your brother. It's been 20 years now. And um, I would love for you to share about, um, you know, the loss and what happened and all the details surrounding that and how that's played into your role of um, an administrator at a school. Yeah. So um, I did this February 2nd marked the 20th anniversary of when my little brother Arnie was killed in a school shooting um, in Moses Lake, Washington, which, you know, if anyone is listening to this podcast, they're going to go, what? There was something that, yes, there was a shooting in Moses Lake that was um, one of the, uh, sadly, I have to say this, one of the first in what we now know to be a string of just um, a violence that um, I have lots of opinions about causes of, but, um, you know, it, it completely changed and rocked my world and the world of my family. Um, you know, we grew up in this tiny little Eastern Washington town, that kind of violence was not supposed to touch us. Um, and, and yet it did in a very profound way. And the, the growth that came out of that is, um, you know, I want to say is never ending that I think I'll always be working to try to, um, in my own way, prevent that from happening again. Um, it's one thing that's great right now, Charlotte, is to be able to say for the first time in 20 years, I actually am hopeful that the needle is being pushed, um, in the right ways to try to address this, um, 
to try to address what allows this to happen in America. Right. Um, you know, there's, and I, I, I won't go on a huge political bent <laughs> because I, you know, here's the thing. I, I have no doubt that it's not a one size fits all. Here is the answer to prevent kids from being killed in schools. There isn't one right answer. There are tons of little answers that we, things that we can do and that we need to do. And, um, and I feel that, you know, my work in our schools is doing some of that, but there's also work that needs to be done around, um, around access to guns and around just our country's, um, flat out obsession with, um, both guns and the right, the supposed right to bear them. Um, I don't think our forefathers were thinking about the, the sort of, um, weaponry we're talking about now. So, um, needless to say, losing my brother absolutely influenced my path into education. Right. With, without a doubt. Um, I, it was our, you know, Moses Lake happened. And then in the next couple of years, there were, um, several shootings in schools. And that was right when I had moved to Seattle, was in social work. And I just found myself compelled, like I need to be a part of the system, the school system that was working to create change. And so I went to grad school and got my master's and started teaching at the middle level. Um, and it was, it when I made the decision, there wasn't this overnight, oh, this is what I'm going to do. It just was this sort of path that I kept taking a step up at the stairway. And the next thing I knew I was in the classroom and it just felt like that was where I was supposed to be. Which I think is really interesting because um, I, I think that that could have been a really scary thing for you to do and decide considering that is where your brother lost his life. I mean, was there any amount of fear um, stepping no, into there, a classroom? You know, that's, that's funny. Fear was not something I ever felt. Um, and I still don't. I, I still, you know... Um, I still feel that our, you know, that our schools and our classes, they are very, very, very safe. Um, when you look at, look at things in totality, um, I fear was never something I felt. I still, um, not on as regular basis, but there are still times when, um, there are things that hit me when I'm at school that absolutely, um, you know, cause the need for me to go in an office and just shut the door and cry. Um, the, and they're not things you expect. And my first year in teaching, it was a boy walking down the hall. Um, and his gait was the same as my brother's and I lost it. <laughs> like <laughs> Absolutely. It shocked the hell out of me. I see this kid and he, from the back and he just walked in this, with the same kind of um, awkward gait that my little brother had. And I found myself just like the wind knocked out of me. Um, and those instances don't happen as often as they used to, obviously. It's been 20 years and, you know, um, sadly, that's the nearness of my brother is so removed. Um, I don't have those things. But the the things that we're doing to impact change still take my breath away sometimes. Right. How, how old was your brother when he lost his life? He was 14. Oh, wow. That's young. Yeah. He, yes. He was, 
very young. Um, you know, and that's my, you know, I lost my brother and that, and that just is what it, what it was. I was not there. My, um, you were in college, isn't that correct? I was in college. I was actually studying abroad when he died. I was in Central America. Oh, that's um, right. Which I guess is not abroad because it's not like we cross a big body of water to get there. But I was, <laughs> I was in, yeah, but I was in, I was in Guatemala. Um, but the, the, you know, what, what keeps me up at night isn't, um, it's less the loss of my brother. It's more when I look at the horror that that school community lived through, um, the students that were in that room, the who had to witness it. Right. Um, it that keeps me up at night. That breaks my heart um, when I look at you know my kids. And by my kids, I mean the seven fifty, not the <laughs> right your students. Yeah, but, my students, my, my teachers, and, you know, I can't help. Yes, of course, that question comes into my head. Oh, good Lord, what, what would we do if this happened in our community? And that, that thought is terrifying um, because those impacts are very, you know, I don't believe in the playing the game of whose loss is worse. You know, I hate that. It's traumatic for everyone involved. But there's a trauma, and I think the trauma um, – for the people who've lived through it, actually lived in it, is um, is not talked about enough. Um, that those, yeah, the kids and the first responders, it's um, those impacts are are long lasting. Right. You know, there was a teacher, um, the uh, Mr. Lane, John Lane, who taught next door to the teacher who was killed in the shooting. And he um, is forever a hero to me and to so many. You know, he walked into that room and um, his calm actions and words and eventually using his body to get the gun away from the shooter. Um, you know, no teacher goes into teaching thinking, someday I'm going to be responsible. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to be responsible for saving the lives of an entire classroom. No one does that. And I look at this man and I am just in awe. Yeah. Um, you know, 20 years later, I'm still just in awe of what he did and the knowledge that his actions also, you know, he has to, to live, he lived through that as well. Um, yes, he's a hero, but man, the trauma he had to witness. Ugh. And the loss. Oh, yeah. I mean, being, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal man. Um, I'm not sure if you heard about the North Thurston High School, um, school shooting that happened fairly recently. I, yeah, I did hear about that. So that, um, it ended well, thank goodness, but that's my alma mater and many of our mutual friends went there as well. Um, but he basically tackled, uh, yeah. a young student who was opening fire in the commons area. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a teacher myself, I can, I have to say that it's something I feared for me since Columbine. I think that was the big mm-hmm. first school event that um, it really, you know, woke us all up to 
um, gun violence and, and young children. I say young yeah. children, even though they're teenagers, that's just still young. Um, I, gosh, they're, yes, it's so, they're so young and they're so developing. And then here, let's make a gun available to you. Right. On, yeah. <laughs> so I always feared that in my own classroom and mm-hmm. I was a teacher when Columbine happened, but then to have it hit so close to home that it happened in my alma mater in Olympia, Washington was just terrifying. Yeah. And I'm currently, um, as you know, on a leave of absence from teaching and there's just, you know, I, there's something about just not being in the classroom that makes me feel so much more at peace. But at the same time, just, I have a child that's in our school public system. Yeah. And it's still happening and it's happening in our movie theaters and in our malls. And it's just, um, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. It, you know, and it, um, and I think you, you hit it on there that it's, it, you know, it's not just in our schools. This isn't just a school shooting problem. Um, yes, there are things we can do in our schools to make it, um, to make them safer, but this is such a national epidemic. Um, and we've got, there's a long, hard look in the mirror that America needs to do that we, you know, we can't say that this isn't an American problem. It, it is. Right. And that's the, um, you know, I've over the years had to talk with parents who are frustrated that we don't have metal detectors or what, you know, and, and having to say, listen, your kid is still safe here. Um, the things that we need to do to protect them aren't things that our schools can do. Um, however, you know, every year on my brother's birthday um, and every year on the anniversary of his death, I post a Facebook post that just says, come on, people, here are some things that everyone can do that are common sense that we all agree on. Vote for background checks. Why do we not, you know, luckily we're in Washington state that has that. But um, as parents, are we making guns in the house the same kind of common conversation that we have about allergies? You know, how many you have a little kiddo, you send her to a house. If she had a life-threatening allergy, you'd make sure, hey, my kiddo has a peanut allergy. Or when kids come to your house, you check. But yet do we say, hi, do you have unloaded, do you have loaded guns in the home? Do you have guns in the home? How do you store them? Um, we don't have those conversations and why not? Because that's an easy one. That's an easy one that every, that every parent can have that be part of the conversation that just raises awareness around, hey, I don't care how safe you think your gun is in your house. If it is not in a safe or disabled, disassembled, locked in some way, it is not safe, period. Um, And that's a conversation that I hope people will start having if they're not already having. Um, Because even if there's a lot of disagreement on other things around guns, I don't see how um, any logical per- person cannot have that say, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense that we would have that conversation. It does make sense. And I have to tell you, it's not something that I would think of to ask. But now that you mention it, it makes me feel bad that I didn't or now, haven't. Do you know what's so funny? Here's, so my sister, who obviously has had the same life experience I have, she just started asking that question a couple of years ago. And she said like the first time that she asked a parent, 
about it that she like was sweating and <laughs> nervous. And she's like, oh, good grief, Nyla. You know, I run a nonprofit. I, I am well-equipped. I speak in front of hundreds of people all of the time. And I was worried about saying to a family, hey, you know, just want to make sure, do you have guns in the house? Um, and it ended up being a wonderful conversation. It was a family that had guns in the house that first time. And they were able to say, here's what we do to make sure it's safe and in this way and that kids, and it led both of them to have a really good conversation about why don't we talk about this more? Um, and so I think that's the, you know, if it's nerve wracking for my sister who has a very legitimate reason to ask, um, somehow having that death gives us more permission, which is also an interesting little part of our world. (laughs) Um, that loss kind of gives us permission to say, no, I'm going to ask that, but I just want everyone to have permission. This is about keeping kids safe. And we know that a gun in the household that is not stored safely, um, your children are more at risk than anyone else. Um, so why wouldn't we have that? Right. Of course. Yeah. I had a pretty interesting experience as a a young girl. I was babysitting at a neighbor's home and, um, the, the child, he might, he must've been a toddler. He had to have been three or four years old. And he came out of his parents' bedroom holding a gun. And I I have to say, I might've been 13 or 14 years old and to not freak out. But then at the same time, like, you know, quietly, disarm this child with a gun. I mean, I knew nothing about guns. Um, and I grew up from that incident with a, with a really big fear of guns. Um, and it wasn't until I was an adult in my twenties, my house was broken into while I was Mm -hmm. in it. And I had Mm -hmm. a man enter my room while I was sleeping in bed. And it was the first time in my life where I instantly thought, I wish I had a gun. Because Absolutely. I yeah. felt so defenseless. Um, yeah. And so I've had all these crazy dialogues in my own head about guns and gun safety and, and you know, the right to protect yourself. And so it's, it's a really sticky emotional um, topic for sure. And, and oh, it, I don't know that yeah. there's anything else that polarizes our nation more than this topic. You know, if you had told me 20 years ago that we would see gay marriage legalized before we saw um, stronger gun laws, I would have said, you're crazy. <laughs> like, you're crazy. And now, am I absolutely thrilled that gay marriage has been, is now the law of the land? Oh my God, it's so exciting. But the fact that that happened before any kind of real reform on guns shocked the hell out of me. <laughs> right. And um, it may be another 20 years before we see, yeah. see more progress, which is you, sad. That, and the sad thing is, and this is where, you know, where I try to be, and those who know me well know that I there are soapboxes that I can get on. Um, I, I definitely have my share, and I'm not shy about my opinions. But, um, but around guns, I do think there is more common ground than both strong advocates like me or the NRA kind of talk about. I think there is a lot more common ground and it's fear that's keeping people from looking at it. Um, so so I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, my, I'm very hopeful, but 
I do think there needs to be work done around um, finding that common ground. And um, I do think that there is a lot of fear that prevents that from happening and the propagate, propagating a fear. And in that, I do mean more so that, you know, the um, NRA and kind of the money um, that is put into keeping that fear alive for Americans. Right. Would there be anything that you would add to the list of what, you know, what someone like me could do um, other than like background checks and just having the conversations with our, you know, neighbors and friends that our children are visiting? Is there you any know, I other think that really that is one of, I think that's one of the biggest things we can do. The other, and, um, and I've learned this recently, is we have a lot of lawmakers who want to do something and they are, you know, because it is such a divisive issue and because the, um, the, the, the fear around losing second amendment rights is so huge that there will, that will always be loud. There needs to be the voice of what I do believe is the majority of people who are really okay. When we, when people start to say, no, this is what we mean by common sense. They're like, Oh, well, yeah, well, that just makes sense. Yeah, no, but the, I think our lawmakers need to hear from that um, rather non-vocal majority um, and so that they feel more permission to do what um, what they want to do because they're, cause they're hearing from their constituents. Right. And, and I would say that especially, you know, I live in Seattle. My lawmakers, yes, and I, they're used to hearing from me, but they're also, you know, this is, a, this is progressiveville, liberalville. Um, <laughs> my lawmakers are already voting that way. Um, it's the lawmakers in areas that, um, you know, I certainly do my reach out to Eastern Washington um, with family and friends saying, hey, I need you folks to be talking to your lawmakers. Um, because it is, you know, rural, rural is, um, rural America is, has some, has different opinions on guns typically than urban does. Yes. So that would be, but I do think the smallest, but one of the most important things that every parent and every person can do is just have the conversation. Just don't be afraid to have the conversation and not have it be divisive. We're talking about the safety of our kids. That is not a divisive issue. Right. Um, or it doesn't have to be. Yeah, agreed. Well, thank you for all that. I, I'm, I think it's, um, you know, it's just it's such a, it's it's so crazy how close to home it it hit you, and I'm yeah. just so glad that you have become an advocate and you really make it a point to educate people. And um, I've learned so much from you, and I read your posts and. Um, so yeah, so my, my heart always goes out to you and your family, and I really thank you for sharing your story. Oh, thanks, Sharla. Um, I'd love to hear what's in store for you in this next decade. Do you have any oh, any goals or aspirations or anything on the horizon that you're looking forward to? or To get my in- email inbox down to zero. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> No, you know, that's, that's so, I know, isn't that the truth? Um, yeah, that's a great question, right? You know, I, I, this is my first year as a principal and I took this job late. Um, I made the transition in, um, late in the summer, which is, which is a 
I feel like I've been playing catch up um, the entire year. So my, when you say what's ahead in this decade, I'm like, oh, I, I'm working on next month. <laughs> <laughs> or tomorrow. <laughs> or tomorrow. So, but I, um, you know, the transition into 40 has been quite awesome. And to be at a place where I really, I, I love my life and I love my work and I feel that I'm doing good work. So I would say if I could wave a magic wand, that would continue, that I'd get to, um, that in 10 years, I want to be able to still say, I love what I do, even if I'm not um, a principal anymore. I, I don't plan, I have, I've learned to not say, this is what next, in 10 years I will be. But I, but I hope I'm able to say I'm still loving my work, which, man, I do. And that is not something everyone is able to say. Right. Um, That's really great. And then, of yeah, and then of course I'd love to find someone to, you know, be my partner on this on this crazy walk. Um, but I also love the fact that I um over the last several years have come to the pl- place where I absolutely don't need that. And that's really liberating and freeing to say I want a partner and I don't need it. Right. Um Believe me, if you'd asked me that five years ago, the thought of me saying that I don't need that would have not. That <laughs> probably also means you're actually ready. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that but funny? I think you're also really fortunate in that you're in a position in your life where you have a, a pretty amazing community of friends and coworkers and former students, and you really um, have that sense of belonging where you're at right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. That they're, you know, life is good. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. So that's my hope for the next 10 years is that I get, you know, man, if you, d- in 10 years, if you do the 50 tellers, <laughs> you know, it'd be awesome to look back and say, you know, I still love what I do. <laughs> that, it's funny that you say that because I just yesterday I was listening to a podcast called The Unmistakable Creative and he was interviewing, um, a man basically saying that life begins at 50 and it's the first time I heard that. And he even said, and forgive me, I can't remember the name of the guest, but he even said Zig Ziglar said the same exact thing that life began at 50 for him at 47. He was broke and destitute and um, really 50 was the magic number. So, so that's something to look forward to, (laughs) you know, and that's, I, um, that is so exciting, and I'll say that I I think for women too, um, to see the times have changed so much. Um, we've still got a lot of work to do, but that I fe- that we are excited about what the next ten years hold, and there isn't dread around. Oh, I'm getting older, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Yeah. Well, yeah. this has been awesome, Nyla. I'm so appreciative to you on your day off to talk to me here in Southern California. Um, I loved, I loved what everything we spoke about today. So I'm really excited to share this with the world Great to chat with you as well. And to hear your little pup in the background, <laughs> the sweetie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I hate this little guy. Yeah. Uh, well, awesome. Well, you have a great day and, um, I'll look forward to sharing this with you. Thanks so much, Charlotte. Hey, you take care too. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. 
That's it for today's episode of The 40 Tellers. Thank you so much for tuning in and a special thank you to Nyla for being today's guest. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest on The 40 Tellers, please visit my website at the40tellers.com and I would love to chat with you. Also, thank you to Cora of coramarydesign.com for the amazing graphic design and web work you did for The 40 Tellers. Thank you.